welcome back to Deranged De Jure. This is a podcast with two deranged lawyers talking about their deranged obsessions. And uh, we're here today. We are going to be uh, talking about our weekend together. Um, so first of all, I'm Raven. I'm joined by my co-host, Peisha. And, uh, and we're, we're the derangers. Uh, and I guess you're the derangers, too. Right. We're all yeah. derangers. We're, we're rangers. all derangers. We are rangers of the deranged. That's correct. Yes. So, um, yeah, if you're, if you're following this podcast, then you must be deranged as well. So, you know. <laughs> Duh. Obviously. Yeah. Duh. So, um, yeah. So, uh, we had a weekend together uh, this past weekend, and it was up in Estes Park, Colorado. Uh, how was your weekend? Did you enjoy it? It was incredible. A bit frigid, but incredible. I think at its lowest, it was negative 11 with the wind. Yeah. yeah. It actually got down to negative 19 the day after. So, oh, so glad so I we missed time. Yeah, exactly. It Although was the. It, it was, I didn't want it to end. It was a very fun weekend. Yes. Yes. We, we had a blast. So how about you though? It was your birthday weekend. So it was, yeah. So this is, uh, this is incredibly special to me because, uh, murder by death is my favorite band. They play at the Stanley hotel, uh, which is my favorite place on earth, uh, because my favorite book and my favorite movie are both the shining, which are associated with the Stanley. So I get everything that I love on my birthday every year. It's fantastic. So, uh, so we went up, uh, this last weekend for, they do it, they do it the first two weekends of January for the new year's ball. And the reason for that is because that's associated with the book. Uh, the book had a new year's ball, uh, but that's, uh, that's where the idea came from to do this over new year's weekend, uh, which I found super cool. Um, so it was really fun. Like we were all dressed up in flapper, like kind of gala formal wear. It was very ball like, so it, I loved the theme and the concert was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was quite a, quite a ride. Um, yeah, it, was, we, it was a little canceled, but we'll talk about it. Was, that. It was a little canceled. Yes. <laughs> so, and not, I, so Adam from the band got sick. He's never canceled a show in 20 years. It was devastating to everybody. And I, I imagine, especially to him, uh, but the band played on the, uh, the remaining members came out and, and put on a show for us. And it was very special. Um, I was able through the grace of Pisha <laughs> the show the next, uh, the next evening and was able to see him. He was better at that point. So uh, I was able to catch that last show and, and that meant a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you for letting me yeah, do that. No, I was happy to do it because it gave me a little time for ghost hunting, which That's we're going to get into after we learn a little bit more about the Stanley and how it inspired the shining, your favorite literary thing of and cinema. <laughs> cinema things yes that yes. <laughs> yeah my favorite film my favorite book yeah exactly uh we'll keep it well, simple what about the mini series you've seen the mini series now is it your favorite mini series oh my god of course oh good <laughs> it's I, knew, the worst. I knew you would love it it's pretty bad it's pretty it's bad. so bad 
no wonder it has zero cinematic value and the guy was like sure just take this archival qr code so you can watch it for free for the rest of your life because no streaming um services will pick it up I, yeah it was great. it's not a wonder not a wonder however like, it was it. yeah and and i did and it was very true to the book but uh the dialogue was awful and it just it was not good um i i mean the visuals that you get in your head when you're reading is much different than uh what you see on the screen and that's why i think stephen king makes a very good writer not a very good producer <laughs> that's fair so but um and also i think probably why and I'll, I'll get into this in a little bit why stanley kubrick from the movie he his shining is an entirely different entity than the book and he was the director of that was the 87 it was uh, the 87 movie yeah 1980 yeah. okay yeah. So, um, but, uh, you know, taking it a step back and then we'll, we'll get into that. Cause I, I, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to limit myself to talking about the shining for only 30 minutes, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Good luck, but don't, I'm sure I can edit some of this down. I'm literally obsessed and I will tell you exactly why, but in any case, uh, what is the connection between the Stanley and the shining? It's not where the, uh, the film was filmed. It was not where the book was written. It is uh, a fictional place. Actually, uh, the Overlook Hotel is based, inspired by the Stanley Hotel. Um, so the Stanley Hotel was built by F.O. Stanley in 1909 after he and his wife moved to Colorado to overcome his tuberculosis. Uh, he was a zaddy. It was tuberculosis, wasn't it? Yeah, it was totally okay. tuberculosis. And, <laughs> I said, and then I was like, I think that's right. Anyway. You're like, wait, pulmonary disease of some sort. Some but, um, but yeah, no. And you were also totally accurate about him being a zaddy, which yep. for those who don't know out there is a sexy daddy. Oh, yeah. There is a statue that we took in front of uh, with, with all of our, our crew. And uh, yeah, he, he is definitely a zaddy. If that statue yeah. was real, it'd be over. <laughs> Oh yeah, he had these like beautiful crows, crows feet like mm -hmm. um, wrinkles from smiling. I assume, mm -hmm. and he had his fiddle. He loved his fiddle. Love the love the fiddle, and he had a but, twin. Right, an identical twin. He had an Not idea. just one zaddy, two zaddies. Trouble, double trouble, double trouble. <laughs> and uh, also, I was told I need to say that he is the inventor of the Stanley Steamer <laughs> horses carriage. <laughs> thank you thank you for that informational bit you're welcome <laughs> yeah so uh so why was the stanley uh associated with the shining stephen king went there on a family vacation actually in 1973 74 1974 i'm sorry and he went on the last day of the season so it used to be so obviously we stayed there and it is in january currently so this doesn't happen anymore. I, I don't know when the changes, probably when like snow plows became better. But in any case, it used to be that it was just seasonal. They would close it down kind of at the end of fall when it was harder to get, uh, you know, snow plows up there um, and people weren't coming in the winter as much. So, um, but now there's heating everywhere. So well, and probably helps. with the evolution of snow sports and transportation to like get you through snow, it's probably, mm -hmm. it just makes more sense to have it open year round. Yeah. I think that's right too. Yeah. So, 
But yeah, so back in the day, 1974, uh, they were there on the very last day before it shut down, and they were the, actually the only guests. So like, the all of the tables were overturned. There's like, there's nobody else. They were the only ones there. So it's like super eerie as it was. So um, how did the Stanley inspire The Shining? That it was through a dream. So Stephen King stayed in room 217 with his wife and his uh, three, three-year-old kid, I think. Yeah. Uh, and what he said was, I dreamt of my three-year-old son. Yeah, I said three. <laughs> Running um, through the corridors. Can yeah. I can I um just dispute one thing? I sure. thought his I thought his son was left home and he was going through marital problems with his wife and so he and his wife were alone and that's why the nightmare was so terrifying because his son was back in they had already moved. Oh, okay. and, you could be right about that. This, I'm basing this on like a documentary that I watched about it. Um, well, the and... documentary is probably right. Don't believe me. Sorry. Okay. You know I what? No, I'm not go sure. On. Go on. Go, yeah. you know what? Just forget what I said. Go on. I... <laughs> well, the son was there or he wasn't there. Well, may or may not we'll never know. There. And it's not even that relevant. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, oh. So. Stephen King, when he talks about like what inspired him, he says, I dreamt of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, sat in the chair, looking out the window at the Rockies. And by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of the book firmly set in my mind. So... He had some kind of a, a dream experience that uh, creeped him out and, and inspired him to write The Shining. Like I said, he stayed in room 217. It's allegedly haunted. And the hotel was about to close down. But um, so room 217, why it's haunted. And I think you get more into this, so I won't go too deep down that rabbit hole. But it's relevant to the plot of the book. The ghost who's associated with 217 is Elizabeth Watson. And she uh, was injured in an explosion. She actually didn't die, but was said to come back to that room and, and haunt it. Uh, so the the book, and I'll go through some of the plot. I, I'm going to try not to go too deep into it, but it, I think it's important uh, between like the Stanley and uh, the reason why The Shining is my favorite book and my favorite movie separately. So the the basic bones of the the book are that this character Jack Torrance brings his family, Danny and Wendy, to the Overlook Hotel, which is, again, a fictional hotel, but it's 40 miles outside of a fictional town called Sidewinder, which is actually near Estes Park. They talk about Estes Park in the book, which is where the Stanley is located. And he had just been fired from his job. He's kind of a, a fuck-up character, but also super sympathetic for a lot of reasons. And I think the main reason why I gravitated towards uh him so much is because I, I see it as a reflection of Stephen King himself because I think at the time Stephen King was going through some troubles with alcoholism and addiction and I really think that this book is entirely about alcoholism and the demons that that creates and so um I, I think that this book is a piece of literature I don't think that all of Stephen King's books are literature um, and in fact, I don't really even like many other Stephen King books, but, but this one just, um, just really captured, I think the heart 
of Stephen King and like, and just was so beautifully written because I think that, you know, for, for anybody who's read the book, it's, it's kind of slow pr uh, progression, but into madness. And so like the first, I'd say like half of the book is really about the family dynamics and like really going into each person's different um, perspectives, I guess. And so Jack Torrance is a recovering alcoholic. He had been a part of an abusive family where his dad had severely beaten his mother, which is actually foreshadowing uh, for later on in the book. And he had been recovering in the family has really been recovering from the trauma of him breaking his son's arm when he was drunk. Uh, so I think there was a lot, and this is kind of what I had gathered through looking and, and hearing other interviews about uh, the book. I think he, Stephen King had this very strong fear about um, hurting his, his kids because he would, you know, become angry as I think parents do. I, I can't relate to that. I can only relate to it when it comes to my dogs. Um, well, and probably, well, yeah. And probably when you're drinking and, and right. treating and coping with alcohol, it's easier to lose control and your mm -hmm. anger. And so you're scared of what you might do to exactly. the people you love the most in those moments, not right. like using at all the behavior of abusive drunks, but just, you know, no. I can see how you, your fear as an alcoholic and as a father is that you would lose control and do something to harm your child. Exactly. And so I think that was what was was playing out in his head because it's very clear. So the book and the movie, and I'll, I'll get into the differences a little bit more later, but the book, Jack Torrance is actually a super sympathetic character. And he, you know, you can, you can feel like the guilt and the shame. He's probably struggling with depression, obviously has the alcoholism issues, but he like above all loves his son. And I don't think anybody could uh, deny that. And that's, that bleeds through really strongly. And his son actually really, really loves him too. And so it's this kind of like heartbreaking, um, but also, you know, terrifying uh, descent into madness is really what it is. So um, it, Danny is his son, Danny Torrance is the son, and he has what's called the shining for anybody who's Nazi who lived under a rock for the past like 40 years or whatever. <laughs> um, but the, the, the shining is like, is essentially like a sixth sense. And I think the shining is a little bit different between the movie and the book as well. In the book, it's really like, it's both that he can see other people's emotions. It's really kind of uh, complex. And for, for a five-year-old boy, I will say Stephen King's writing of a five-year-old boy is almost comically wrong. How? <laughs> like, I mean, like, like, explain. Because this little kid has all of these, like, developed ideas about the world, and he's talking like he's a 45-year-old man. And I think that Stephen King actually does that purposely. I actually don't think he's doing it, like, not knowingly. But it comes across really kind of funny at times where you're just like, five-year-old kid is ever going to say that or or think that or whatever so right like i think He's at one point a lecture in the... on like socrates or something like that exactly like there's, i think there's one point in the book where he's like some something bad had just happened or like he's in the middle of this uh um conflict and he just goes i'm five years old does it not matter that i'm five years old 
Oh my gosh. Well, no, no, little kid, it doesn't, unfortunately. It does not. Not to this so, plot line. Yeah, yeah. So um, so some of the, the, the key uh, elements of the book, in the very beginning, they talk about this boiler. And I'm talking about, like, in the olden age, they had, I, don't, I actually don't know how a boiler works, so I'm not even going to say, but you had to, like, pour water over it uh, so that it wouldn't explode. And it didn't function correctly, so they had to do it in the morning and in the night. Otherwise, the whole thing would go up in smoke. So that was one of the things that one of the characters who was telling Jack Torrance Watson uh, how to run the hotel tells him that he has to um, put water over the, the boiler or else the, the whole thing was going to go up in smoke. So that doesn't exist in the movie. Uh, and that is, you know, a very key element to the book. So, um, the, I think the biggest turning point in this, in the book, when like things just keep, keep kind of going downhill, like, I think, you know, a lot of it is about like Jack just struggling with addiction and just really wanting a drink and not being able to like cope with some of the things that are going on in his head without that. And so he has this dream where he is in the manager's office and he breaks the CV radio because he hears his dead father telling him to kill his wife and his child. So, yeah. So, and I think that was, that was kind of like the, the switch. And after that, shortly after that, uh, Danny starts seeing ghosts. And so the dream happens, Danny goes into the room that he's not supposed to go into, which is room 217. And, you know, it's a very different scene from the book to the movie. In the book, Danny goes in and the naked woman comes out after him and strangles him, which happens in the movie as well. Uh, but there's no sexy lady in, in there afterwards. So I think once that starts happening is where, you know, the, it just starts spiraling downward to where Wendy believes because Jack had broken his arm before that he had harmed their son and so she locks him away when that happens that breaks jack and his spirit and that's what causes him to go down to the colorado room where which is like where the the bar was i can't remember is it is it the mcgregor room i can't remember what the room is um, now it's like the whiskey bar now it's the whiskey bar which is next to the mcgregor room okay okay there you go so he goes down to that room and he sees, uh, even though at the very beginning of the book, they say that there's no alcohol on the premises, he sees a bartender and he starts talking to the bartender, Grady, um, and the, Grady starts giving him drinks. So he starts drinking again and it's unclear whether it's like a hallucination or not because there's clearly they were supposed to be the only ones there, but obviously they were, were not. So... Anyway, he serves him 20 cocktails in a row, and then he, Jack kind of loses his mind, and he's convinced by this ghost, Grady, to, and um, Derwin to kill his wife and his kid in order to become the manager of the hotel. So they're convincing him through drink that he can gain this power by killing his, his son and his wife. Okay, so Jack turns into 
the proverbial monster as soon as he starts drinking again. And so that's why I'm saying like the book is so much it's about alcoholism. It's about the struggles with alcoholism and that fear that I think a lot of people who are recovering alcoholics feel of turning back and and drinking again. And so in any case, you know, not to give any spoilers to the book necessarily. Well, actually, I'm going to. I should have just said spoiler alert from the beginning. So because I am going to just give you the spoiler because yeah, right? I kind of have everything. to. <laughs> I know, I already... but you would be listening if you didn't want to know about The Shining and about the connection to the Stanley and the difference exactly. between the book and the movie and how it applies yeah. to the Stanley. Just right. relax, people. Chill out. Get off our backs. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so after after that happens is when Jack goes on the attack and he attacks Wendy with a rogue mallet. And in the meantime, so one of the characters that I didn't bring up before, but it's actually like a very big character in this book and kind of problematic in some ways, uh, just the way that Stephen King wrote him, because I think that it's, he's the only black character and that tends to be the case in some books. So, you know, um, I, I really love this character and I really want him to be a lot stronger uh, as a, a Stephen King character. So Halloran is the cook. And he and Danny have this really strong connection because both of them have the shining. So Danny calls out to Halloran, who's in Florida, tells him to come back. And it's like this whole process and trip and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, one of the other really big things that is the difference between the book and the movie is that Halloran saves the day he battles the topiary animals who are who come to life because uh the key dif difference between the book and the movie as well is that in the book the hotel is actually living like it's an actual monster and in the movie that's less clear so in any case Halloran beats the topiaries comes in saves the day and when jack is attacking danny Danny remembers through The Shining, through his little his little friend Tony, who ends up being his future self coming back to tell him that his dad forgot to pour water over the boiler and the place is about to blow up. So that's the ending of the book, The Shining, which is very different than the movie, The Shining. So getting to the movie, it was filmed in 1980, which is three years after the book came out. It was actually kind of a flop because I think a lot of people had read the book and it's way different. It's way, way different. So I think like one of the big things that makes it so different, at least as to the structure, is that this it was also supposed to be at the Overlook Hotel, quote unquote, which was located out of Estes Park. So based on the Stanley, but nothing like the Stanley, like the hotels that are involved are the Timberline Ridge or Timberline Lodge, excuse me, in Mount Hood, Oregon. That's where the outside was filmed. And then the inside was filmed in England, in Elstree Studios in England. And so neither of those places are anywhere near Colorado. Yeah, that so, is not the Stanley. <laughs> not at all, no. And so it, and it doesn't have the Stanley feel at all. Like the, the hotel in the movie is this big, giant, like kind of vacuous place and i think that the stanley its eeriness comes from like how antique it is so well, and and like the the movie has more of this kind of like 70s motif as opposed to 
uh, at least from the book and the vibe from the Stanley itself that I get, it's more antique, more um, kind of like dreary old man smoking room with the wallpaper, less mm -hmm. like kind of funky vintage retro retro right right yeah that's yeah and so the visuals are beautiful in the movie like it is so brilliantly filmed it's gorgeous and there's a lot of subliminal me messaging in it i've watched room 237 a couple of times which is the documentary where people talk about their different theories about what stanley kubrick kubrick excuse me was trying to convey and i don't agree with any of their theories like they say that uh, it's actually about the Holocaust. They say it's actually about Indian genocide. They say it's actually about Apollo 13. And I just think that they're all kind of wacky. I yeah, don't know. No, they don't, they don't really ring, you know, true to me. No. And I'm sure that he had some subliminal messaging, but I, I'm not a film buff and I'm, I'm not smart enough to, to talk about, you know, that kind of thing. I just know that, you know, it's a, it's a beautifully, made movie I, I think the plot line is a little bit the the characters in the plot line are probably the weakest part of it but everything about the way it's filmed and the way that it builds and the the visuals that are involved are just absolutely perfect so anyway the differences between the book and the movie i've talked about some of those because i went through kind of the plot line of what the book was which obviously is pretty different from what the movie is is that each one of them reflects their own maker. So like, I think that Stephen King kind of put it in a, in a really good way. He said that the movie is cold, the book is warm. And I, I think that that's just a reflection of each of the makers. So Stephen King would describe himself as a very warm person. And I think that's true, despite the fact that he's so dark, he does often have these elements of the good in people, right? And I think that Stanley Kubrick, despite his quote unquote genius, like ends up coming off very cold. Actually, I, I was watching some footage of him and the way that he was treating Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. And there was like this backstage uh, recordings and he is such an asshole to Shelley Duvall, like an absolute dick. And I mean, I think that, you know, he was a misogynist um, and I think that he was particularly bad to her and treated Jack Nicholson with much more favor. So, throughout it. so let me just interject a little bit. I was able to go on the shining tour while I was at the Stanley and you were at the concert. And one of the things I learned was that, um, Stanley Kubrick was a notoriously difficult director to work with in all of his films because he was a mm -hmm. perfectionist and he demanded certain perfection um, and almost a certain like method acting approach from his actors where they really embody the madness that he's trying to convey. And so mm -hmm. he may have bullied Shelley Duvall and she does claim that he favored Jack Nicholson. Oh, Jack Nichols, Nichols, Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nichols yeah. is a golfer. Okay. Yeah. Um, correct. She does claim that. However, he 
was put through hell as well. And the point, and some people speculate that the reason why was because Kubrick was trying to drive them insane so that they would actually exude the insanity that the film and the spiral and the descent into darkness, um, you know, really represented. And for example, the scene where uh, Jack is um, taking the ax to the door, he apparently had to do that 127 times or something. Right. And by the end, the side of his body with this 15 pound ax had gone almost like numb and limp. And that's why when he, the hedge scene happens and he's running through the hedge maze, he starts limping all of a sudden. It's because he just got done filming a thousand takes. And mm -hmm. so, so he treated everyone badly, but particularly Shelley Duvall. And, yeah. and some people might argue it was a part of his, his method as a director, but it was clearly misogynistic if you look at all of his body of work. Well, yeah, and if you look at his other stuff too, it's not like he writes particularly strong women characters, but like, but especially, and I, and this was actually one of Stephen King's harshest criticisms of the movie was how just wet mop character he had made Wendy when she was much more complex and much played much more of a role in the protector of her son in the book and so he he didn't like that like even stephen king was like yeah this this character is just you know nothing she's flat and uh and so that was that's a shame because i think shelly duvall is a talented actress uh and i actually you know i still think that she performed as well as she could have in the shining so the book and the movie like i said they're they're totally different entities but i think the biggest thing the biggest takeaway is that all of the iconic scenes that are in the movie do not exist in the book. So there's no blood tidal wave over the elevator. There's no typewriter that says all work, no play Jack makes Jack a dull boy. There's no Grady twins. Those don't exist in the book. There's no ax murder. There's like I said before, there's no sexy naked dead lady in the bathtub that doesn't exist. There's no maze and there's no frozen Jack Nicholson. So wow, mm -hmm. so not at all the same. Yeah, completely different. And it's it's just wild because I think that Stephen King became so enraged with Stanley Kubrick because he then became associated with all of those scenes which are nowhere in the book, which would kind of piss me off too. I'm I'll be honest. So yeah, yeah but, I don't blame him. But they're iconic. I mean, if you look at horror movies, like those are the ones, those are the scenes that you see, like Jack Nicholson through that wooden door is horrifying. It's terrifying. That like maze scene, so scary. Like, I mean, the... there's so many memes that come from that scene of Jack Nicholson frozen in the hedge maze. That's how you know you've made it is if you make right. it onto a meme. You're a meme. <laughs> you live yeah. forever now. That's correct. Yes. So thanks, millennials. <laughs> so and to go off of what Stephen King said about Stanley Kubrick after the movie came out, he said on Letterman, I feel both ways. I got to see it four times because of commitments at one place or another. And there was an awful lot of things about the movie that I think are flawless and beautiful and just marvelous. So, you know, like I said, he, he saw what I was seeing. And there are other times, and this is my favorite part, when I felt 
feel as though I'd given Stanley Kubrick a live grenade and he heroically threw his body on it. Wow. <laughs> Leave it to Stephen King. Leave it to an author to come up with some melodramatic shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I mean, the book is much more complex plot-wise, but I think if you're looking at film through like a cinematic type of lens and you you have the visuals that are there that's what makes it such a good movie but it you know the plot and the complexity are what makes it such a good book so you know i've talked about the differences in the movie i told you that the book had the topiary animals uh which played a bigger role they came and creeped up on danny a few times there was a hornet's nest, which actually plays, like I think is like a huge symbol in the book. And what happened was that uh, Jack had been on the roof trying to fix it and came across a hornet's nest. And he took a bug bomb to try and get them out of it, but then brought it into Danny's room because he had one as a kid. And so I think that the hornets are kind of a foreboding, like an omen of things to come. They both represent the things that have stung Jack in his life, the pre previous things, and, you know, his continuing fucking up as well. So at the end of the book, I think when the Overlook goes up in flames, it, there's a reference to what looked like hornets coming out of it. And so that's where the symbolism kind of comes in there. So the hornets played a much bigger part in the book than the movie there was no hornets in the movie obviously the boiler and the the difference in the the characters so yeah so that's the difference between the book and the movie so the connection to the stanley is really kind of more based on the book like i think the book is more true to the stanley but like i said the movie is supposed to take place in colorado parts of it are even filmed in boulder but you know this the Stanley was creepy enough to inspire Stephen King to write his most iconic book, which I think is pretty cool. And oh, yeah. one other little tidbit that uh, I just find awesome was that during the filming of Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey also stayed in room 217 and he got so creeped out that he packed his bags in the middle of the night and bailed out and never returned to the Stanley. Oh, wow. No yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. So there's something about it. Something about it, for oh, sure. Definitely. I, yeah. I mean, you and I didn't necessarily get a bad vibe from it, but no, um, no. But we didn't go to some of the creepier rooms. That's that's true. We didn't. But yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah. I mean, you you are the expert here because I bailed on you. <laughs> no. Oh no, no, no. You did not. You did not. You were rocking your hiney off as you should to your favorite band, and I was mm -hmm. happy to do this investigation. Which, if you're ready, I'll I'll get into it. And that's that was my segue. So. All right. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Flawless. Okay. <laughs> So for mine, I know that we're doing a podcast here, but I was able to capture some footage during my ghost hunting experience at the Stanley, and I am going to do a screen share so that the derangers that have the ability to watch can see the footage that I got and judge for themselves. You know, I'd love to hear what everyone thinks about what I found. So, All right. Can you see this? I can. Awesome. I'm going to put it in presentation mode. 
Okay, so the paranormal activity at this Stanley is um, pretty pretty extensive. Uh, the ghosts of the Stanley Hotel include the founder and total zaddy, F.O. Stanley. He's most often seen wandering the grand staircase in the hotel lobby. In addition, there's Elizabeth Wilson, a.k.a. Mrs. Wilson, who I think translates to the character Mrs. Watson in uh, The Shining. Oh, no, I think I just missed uh, her name earlier. I, oh, I thought it was oh. Watson. <laughs> oh, my bad. Well, no. I, I got Wilson. Um, <laughs> you're, so, you're correct. I, okay. I didn't do this research, so. <laughs> it's okay. I got you. That's why I'm here. So There you go. Elizabeth Wilson was the hotel's head housekeeper, and during a storm in 1911, she was injured in an explosion as she was lighting the lanterns in room 217. And um, this is relevant, as we've mentioned, because all these creepy experiences continue to occur in room 217. Mrs. Wilson, however... Uh, did not die in this gas explosion. So what happened was in 1909, the Stanley was famous because it was one of the only fully electricity-run resorts in the country at that time. And in 1911, this huge storm came and wiped out the electricity, and so they transferred over to their secondary power, which was gas. There was a gas leak in room 217. So when Mrs. Wilson came into room 217 with her lit candle, it caused an explosion where she then fell through the floor into the McGregor room where she broke two, both her ankles, not two of her ankles. She doesn't have more than two <laughs> ankles, only two ankles. Not that we know of. <laughs> yeah, that we're aware of. She only broke two ankles. She also broke her pelvis. It took her a year to recover from this, but she did survive. Uh, guess I wonder if that's where the inspiration as far as like the boiler came from for Stephen King. Well, in, in any case. No, I think you're right. Because in the Shining tour, they said that it did lead to some of the inspiration behind the book's ending. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so guests have reported that items have moved, luggage has been unpacked, and lights have been turned on and off, in addition to their beds being made while they are asleep within them. Mrs. That's Wilson, kind of nice. I know, it's kind of, it's kind of cozy getting tucked in like a snug little bug in a rug. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mrs. Wilson is old-fashioned. She does not like it when unmarried guests shack up together. So some couples have reported feeling a cold force between them. That old hag. Oh. Um, <laughs> anyways, so, so the activity attributed to Mrs. Wilson is most often reported in room 217, whereas uh, Stephen King was staying. So, um, but she's, she's mostly a very kind spirit. She's very helpful. Um, not, you know rude okay she's not yeah. a rude ghost not a rude ghost i wonder um, why she scared jim carrey so much right i know mm -hmm. and why she scared stephen king so much if you think about yeah, it yeah sure i don't know if she's trying to give him a message or something i she i don't, don't know. like I men can, yeah i can only <laughs> speculate so mm -hmm. the next of the ghosts 
that live in the Stanley Hotel are the concert hall ghosts. The concert hall is in a separate building. We both went there. Um, me for the not concert, you for the concert. Mm-hmm. Um, and the those ghosts are Paul. Paul was a former employee of the hotel, considered a jack of all trades, but among his duties was enforcing an 11 p.m. hotel curfew. Guests and workers report hearing, get out late at night, being nudged and having a flashlight flicked in their direction. They attribute all this to Paul. Paul. Uh, Paul. (laughs) Another He's kind of a rude ghost. He's a little rude. He's -hmm. a little pushy. Um, So the second concert hall ghost is Flora Stanley. She's the wife of founder F.O. Stanley, and she enjoyed playing the piano in the concert hall. She can still be heard playing the piano in the hall today. Oh, that's kind of nice. Creepy. A little mm-hmm. creepy, though. Yeah. And then creepy. finally, we've got Lucy. Cannot find a ton of information on Lucy. However, it's suggested she was possibly a runaway or a homeless woman who sought refuge in the Stanley. Historians are unsure of her pre-death connection to the hotel, however. Um, she, she's important and helpful to ghost hunters though. She will entertain their requests and often communicates through flashing lights. So another helpful Stanley ghost. That's nice. Yeah. The other ghosts, these, these, maybe not the children, the children suck. They're, they're boring, but the, the one after (laughs) the children is pretty funny. So, so the children in the attic more than a century ago, the entire fourth floor was this cavernous attic. It's where the female employees, the children and the nannies were confined to stay because, you know, no one wants to see those things in public. And um, to this day, guests will report hearing children running around laughing, giggling, and playing. In addition, there's a famous closet that tends to open and shut on its own in room 401. (laughs) This is probably my favorite ghost I've ever heard of in my life. This is the ghost I've named the Kissin' Cowboy. So the Kissin' (laughs) Cowboy um, in room... 428, an apparition of some unknown, extremely friendly cowboy will appear at the foot of the bed, and he's been known to give kisses on the foreheads of guests who are laying in the bed. Just little little forehead kisses. Little forehead kisses. That's sweet. I know. So that's the kissing cowboy. Um, (laughs) Those are the big ghosts, the ghosts that they all know by name. Apparently there's one named Dennis that I learned about through an employee at the Stanley, but because I didn't go on one of the paranormal tours, I don't know why I didn't do that. Um, they, I didn't get the chance to really learn about Dennis. So, um, maybe another time we'll talk about him, but for now we're going to get into why the Stanley is a hotbed for paranormal activity. Because it doesn't particularly have a tragic history that would explain as much activity as it has. In fact, no. yeah, right? Like like I said before, you and I, we kind of got a very pleasant vibe from the grounds and the buildings. We didn't go to some of the more haunted rooms, but still, we didn't feel anything negative necessarily. Yeah, no, it, it seems like just a happy place. It seems... And- 
And I think it was a place where people went when they were happy, right? So it makes sense that it would be a, a happy place. Right. It's where they go to get fresh air, fresh mountain air, and unwind from all that tuberculosis. That's right. <laughs> so uh, the original caretaker, Alfred Lamborn, and his family, who looked way too happy in their photographic portraits to be from the 1900s, lived in the caretaker's cottage for decades. However, here's an unhappy memory. Their adult daughter, Caroline, I think her name was, died in the guest room of the mm. cottage, possibly as an early victim of the Spanish flu in oh, 1917, no. which oh. is a racist term, by the way. We shouldn't call it the Spanish flu, just like we don't call COVID the Chinese virus. Yep. So yep. anyways, I just had to make that little PSA. Um, also, oh yeah, that gas explosion in 1911 that injured eight to nine Stanley <laughs> Hotel employees, including Mrs. Wilson. That may have been a negative thing that could have attracted some energy. It still doesn't okay. explain why there's quite so many. Right. Investigators believe it is more likely due to the large volume of antiques and portraits and photographs lining the grand staircase, creating a vortex or a portal of heightened energies for spirits to use in transit. So, um, you know, we got to see some of these portraits. They're really creepy. Their eyes follow you. And I have a picture of the staircase along with one of the most famous pictures of an apparition at the top of the stairs. And this is where they say the vortex is. Mm. So let's get into our paranormal investigation at the Stanley Hotel. The first thing we did was we bought an EVP recorder from the retailer Amazon. You may have heard of them. EVP. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, EVP recorders pick up subtle sounds and faint frequencies often beyond the range of human hearing. We also downloaded two super scientifically sound ghost hunting apps from ghost tube. One of those apps was an SLS camera. It outputs infrared beams and builds a mo model usually represented as a stick figure, um, of the refracted beams. Uh, the other app we got from ghost tube was a Vox synthesizer that detects environmental fluctuations and synthesize them synthesizes them into sound syllables, words, and even phrases. In addition, finally, we also downloaded an EMF reader from a different provider, but we're going to get more on that later. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get more on that later. Okay. Um, foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> So an writing EMF, our own shining, right? So, so an EMF reader detects the presence of electromagnetic fields and energy, and converts the information into a readable format, sometimes audio. Um, so, we walked around the lobby with these tools. We walked around the McGregor Room, the Pinon Billiard Room, the Grand Staircase, the second floor, the Caretaker's Cottage the ice house and the general grounds between all the various buildings that make up the Stanley hotel. Um, we had our EVP recorder. We had our two super scientifically sound ghost hunting apps. And then in addition, I also used the basic camera app on my phone to snap 
five to six round burst shots on my camera. Just supposedly, if you just take the same picture, same angle, don't move a lot and just burst shot it. Um, sometimes you can catch something in between the shots. So that's what I was doing when I did, uh, when I went ghost hunting, you were rocking out to murder by death. And I quickly realized that the EVP recorder was completely useless because of the presence of loud ass humans and <laughs> being unable to debunk any of the findings. So I ditched that. Um, but I think I accidentally recorded like an hour of me just walking around and you can't really hear much, but my pocket. So that's, oh, that's well, cool. Okay. We'll use that for a later. I'm sure that'll be more useful for a later ghost hunt. So yeah, I, we'll do this again. So yeah. And I didn't use the EM reader because I deleted that creepy shit when I was learning how to use it before the investigation. Again, more on that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So my investigative findings. I got a lot of activity on the Vox synthesizer in the Pignon billiard room. I eavesdropped on a ghost tour because, as I said, I did not book one. And I overheard the guides say that there have been multi multiple reports of full-bodied apparitions and sounds of men, women, socializing, footsteps, and the sounds of thumps in this room. So I'm going to, for those who can watch, watch this, but I think you'll be able to hear it when I hit play. You're going to hear me um, using the Vox synthesizer uh, in and around the Pignon billiard room. And at the bottom, you will see the voices that are coming through the Vox. Um, those are the voices that I am not hearing live. So here we go. Okay, guys. What is... Are you guys hearing that? I mean, it's not them. It's not those people behind me. Hmm. Do we have something? Nice, nice face. <laughs> I wish people could see my face. We'll put these things up on all of the relevant social medias and websites. By the way, we're going to create a website soon, everyone, and we're going to archive everything so that you can watch these videos and episodes, whatever, whenever you want. So do some additional research because we'll put up all the stuff that we've been uncovering we'll say right exactly so i hope you guys heard that but what i heard were a bunch of voices coming through the vox synthesizer and the theory is that these spirits are manipulating the um the technology of the phone to to produce these noises and so i couldn't hear anything that they were saying but i could definitely hear men and women uh, talking back and forth, maybe. I don't know if they're sentient or anything like that, but that's what I heard. <laughs> um, 
that covers the pinon billiard room uh the next piece of investigative findings that i found that i felt was relevant was a possible shadow figure in two burst shots out of five only two of them of the staircase from the second to the third floor i put these pictures in the slides and if you look in the lower right hand corner you can see what looks like a shadow or a blob, almost like a smoky color. And I know what you're thinking. Hmm, but Pisha, aren't your nails painted kind of the same color as the shadow? Yeah, but <laughs> I already thought about that. And I zoomed in on my hands in the reflection of the mirror to show that my nails are nowhere near the camera lens. And oh. if you got like, look at those zooms, like you can mm -hmm. kind of see my, my lens is more in the center of that black, like rectangle towards the upper right of my phone. And so yeah. my finger is resting on the side of the phone. It doesn't appear to be in not any near way. The lens. Yeah. Not near the lens. So the, you know, I tried to debunk this and maybe i'm wrong but this kind of smoky shadow does not appear like the shadows elsewhere in the room and i really can't <laughs> explain it so mm -hmm. i'd be interested in hearing what everyone else thinks i mean, you can see it what do you think yeah i mean i can see a shadow that doesn't make sense so i yeah. i think there's something to it Right. It's like it's got a different um, it's almost like it fades out from the center, like the center is the densest, darkest part. And then as it goes out, it kind of almost gets smoky or hazy. So yeah. um, that's what I see. Um, so the next piece of <laughs> evidence, <laughs> my favorite one, <laughs> this is fantastic. You guys oh, my God. We're all going to go on a ride together right now. Oh, yeah. So so this is the evidence of the doll saga. Saga? Saga? Saga. Sure. Okay. The doll saga at the cabin. So here's how that starts. Raven gives our mutual friend an American girl, Samantha doll, that she's had since childhood. That's you. That's right, right? Yep, that's right. She looks like her, and I thought that she should have the doll that I'm never going to use again. So Right. And as far as I know, you've never had any problems with this doll previously. Uh, it has never become what happened to this doll <laughs> before. Okay. okay, that's all I needed to know for now. Thank you. Yes. So, mm -hmm. Raven gives our mutual friend this doll. The friend leaves the doll with her belongings in the cabin all weekend long. Meanwhile... Pisha sits in the room that has the doll and tries to learn how to use this EMF reader app that we keep talking about. Yeah. The app starts flipping the fuck out, going from a slow, quiet beep to an extremely rapid, loud beep with the words music and last night repeating over and over prompting Pisha to also flip the fuck out and delete the app before even using it at the Stanley. And 
I found this to be so creepy because here's what it sounded right, like, the beeps, okay? It went like this. Beep. 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 Beep, 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 And meanwhile, screaming music in last night at me. For those who are keeping track of the chronology of this weekend, the night before, the concert was canceled. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. So, so moving on, our mutual friend packs up to leave and finds that the doll has been beheaded and its legs are twisted and mangled. In order to behead this doll, it would take some force. It, you can't just yeah. drop it and its head falls off. You, you have to yank it off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, right? It's, it's attached by strings and like and kind of tucked in to like the, I don't know, the sewed part. And so like it the... would be really hard to like, yeah, you can't just, it doesn't just pop off. Right. It's almost like it's sewn into the hem of the shirt line. And so, mm -hmm. like, you'd have to pop it out from that seam um, mm -hmm. for it to be beheaded. That was kind of how I looked at it. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, upon discovering this, everybody freaks out. Our friend goes home a day early with the doll because she had to get home for personal reasons. And then after ghost hunting... Pisha tries the Vox synthesizer in the room where the doll had been and got only one incident of activity. Um, this is that. <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll see. This is what I got. Is there something in here? Are you responsible for the doll? Okay. So there it was. Um, I, but for uh, the derangers out there, it was, I had asked, um, is there something in here? And I waited for a period of a few seconds and all the her sudden heard this very deep, distorted, like, kind of like, I don't know. It was weird. It was like a man's, maybe not even a man's. It was so deep and weird. Um, and I tried to ask if it was responsible for the doll, but never got a response. So um, that was kind of strange for that to happen. I was still on my ghost hunting kick, so I thought I would ask, ask the Vox synthesizer, you know, about the doll incident. And the only response I got was that creepy, kind of demonic, robotic, blah, 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 like, ugh, ugh, ugh. sorry, now I got Gee. the chills. Yeah, yeah something so, was going on. So one last thing happened um, in order to complete this whole doll saga um while packing to leave and discussing the weird vox um evidence after ghost hunting raven's computer her laptop computer was pushed off of the bed when she and pisha turned their backs 
Yeah. And, and, and you and I tested that you immediately, I like was walking out the door cause I was going to scrape the snow off my windshield or something like that. And I heard a loud thump as I was leaving, but I was like, it wasn't the door because I didn't close the door. It, I kind of like, I didn't latch it all the way. And you all of a sudden reacted and were like, oh, oh my God, come back in there. And I went back in and you pointed down to the computer, which was lying on face down and you put it back on the bed where it was and we tested it we tried pushing the bed we tried you know blowing air at it <laughs> right <laughs> and the point is we couldn't really recreate it no no it was bizarre because i you know i knew for a fact that i had put it directly onto the bed yeah. And listen, I'm clumsy, but you know, that wasn't one of those moments. No. So. And, and like, here's the thing. There was, um, there was some clothing and, you know, some items that were on there and the computer may have been on top of them, but it wasn't like it was a pile of items that it could have slid off of. It mm -hmm. would have taken more effort. It seemed to move it off of the items that it was on top of. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So, yeah. So that Crazy. concludes. Yeah, that concludes our ghost hunting Park experience. Stanley Shining Tour. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was pretty wild. I wish I had more time um, to really explore some of the some of the places. Um, they they don't let you go up the grand staircase unless you're a registered guest and mm -hmm. shh, don't tell anyone, but we totally went, took a bunch of pictures. Um, but we only went up to the second floor and we didn't push it further. We thought, you know, Hey, this is good enough for now. We had had a long night. Um, you know, let's go back and look at our footage and see what we got. And, and those pictures, by the way, of the staircase, the kind of shadow thing, um, I did not notice that shadow until we had gotten home and I was like reviewing the pictures. So there was like no indication at the time that would lead me to believe that would be there. And like I said, this was shot zero nine and 11. So that means there was a 10th picture in between that did not have the blob. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So I don't know. These are some things that make it a little more interesting. And then, you know, maybe what I'll do is on our Facebook page, I'll create an album with all of my photographs, even the ones where I don't think I caught anything. Um, and all of my video footage, everything I caught so that maybe if you're just bored and you want to browse through it, maybe you can find something I didn't see. Fresh eyes sometimes is all it takes to find the evidence we need to prove that ghosts are real. That was beautifully said. I love <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. It felt very poetic. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a great so, conclusion. Yeah. yeah thank you mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. So, so that's really it for this week. We, yeah. we covered, we got to spend this amazing weekend at the Estes Park, Colorado at the Stanley Hotel, inspired The Shining. We did a little ghost hunting. That was awesome. Um, next week, if you join us, We've got a special deranged discussion on Gypsy Rose and yeah, timely. 
Oh, I know. Not only timely, but it's like we watched nonstop docu-series on Gypsy Rose while we were... I still haven't stopped. I know. <laughs> I, to be honest, I haven't either. So I'm glad yeah. you're on the same page. Yeah. So yeah, so it's going to be deranged discussion, um, not just on Gypsy Rose, but also on the comedian Tom Segura's mystery murderer. Ooh. I know. I know. And this will be exciting because I'm actually going to go see Tom Segura um, at the Kiva Auditorium here in Albuquerque on Friday. So I'll be able Yay. to talk a little bit about, you know, how awesome the show was as I'm I sure. Know, I know how it I know. was. Yeah. Well, you'll, you know how it was. It was amazing. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I can't wait to tell you about it. So, so join us next week for all that. And then remember to like, subscribe, follow us on all the socials. Those are up after the video. If you don't remember what those are. We are this close to having a hundred followers on Facebook. So, come on, guys. Come on. Help us out. Come on. Help a lady out. All right. Yeah. And yeah. so so until next time, stay out of law school and infirmaries. Goodbye. Remember to like and subscribe to Deranged DeJure on your favorite podcast platform and follow at deranged.dejure on all the major social media. Contact us by email at deranged.dejure at gmail.com. This has been a Raven Kink production. <laughs>